we all have stories that make us who we are when we are combining that with how God has designed us. And those stories make us who we are and bring us together here at Ridgecrest. And because of that, we've started a podcast called Ridgecrest Stories, a good way for you to get to know a lot of people in and around Ridgecrest, including Matthew Johnson, our church administrator. Matthew joins us on this episode. Matthew, how are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm well, and I'm looking forward to this conversation because it's easy to identify, for the most part, what a recreation minister may do, what a student pastor may do, and what a children's minister may do, but a church administrator, not so much. So if you wanted to give someone the two or three sentence job description of what a church administrator does, what would you say? I don't think there are two or three sentences that explain that. Um, I'll do my best, though. It, it, you know, I used to say that I do, I handle anything that's not on the spiritual side of things. But so much of what I do is spiritual in a lot of ways. And so that's not a really good answer. But, you know, there's, you know, anything that you, anything that you can tangibly touch or see is pretty much under my umbrella. So if it is a building or if it's the grounds, the property, uh, finances, um, support staff, uh, the CDC, the child care, uh, all that stuff comes uh, to me in some form or fashion. So if you think about a 300,000 square foot building plus several properties that surround the church building and um, all of the people that are inside of it, somehow, some way, in a lot of ways, they interact with my office. That seems dizzying to me when I think about all the different things that could conceivably fall under your purview and think about how in the world can one person keep track of all that. Uh, do you think about that sometimes? Because it, it seems like a lot. Yeah, I do. It's, there's, um, there's no way I could do it without good people. Um, you know, there's not, if you don't have a good staff of support, that can execute the job. And I'll tell you this, there's a, there's a lot of different management styles. I don't have one that is a micromanager. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like to be micromanaged. So I do not do that. However, there's times where I've needed to do that. There was a book I read long, long ago. Um, it was, uh, I believe it's Stephen Covey and you'll probably recognize the one minute manager, but there was a, another book, in that series called the one minute manager situational leadership. And in that book, it really defined that everybody is in a different, have different needs. So for example, a new employee is going to be really highly motivated, but they don't have the knowledge of the job. And so you got to spend a lot of time training. And then you got the other end of the spectrum where they, they understand the job, they know it, but they need more motivation. And so um, that's a hard thing to, to do, but if you know your staff and you know um, how, to, how to work with them and know what they need, you know, sometimes they just need to sit and sit down and just talk. And it could be about anything. Um, but there's no way uh, that one person can oversee that without good people. And um, I've, been, I've been very blessed here at Ridgecrest uh, to have good people serving. And I know that one way that your job is similar to others here at the church, even though in many ways it's completely different, but one way it is similar is that it's different. You never know from week to week what 
what you may end up having to do. But there are some things that you have to make sure get done every week. And there may be not a typical day, but if there was a typical day or a typical week, what are some of the things that you have to make sure get done every week? Well, um, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, a lot of things. Um, if you're a uh, church member, then you come into church on Sunday morning. You don't realize all of the cleaning that has to go on in the church building. Mm -hmm. You don't realize that um, there's maintenance that's going on somewhere in this building all the time. 78 air conditioners on this campus uh, that, um, you know, have things that go on all the time, it seems like. And, and then you have the staff that interacts with that. So my tip, like a typical day for me is I come in, I, I come in before a lot of people, my staff usually shows up. Most of my staff show up about seven o'clock. I come in shortly right after that. Um, I let them kind of get going. I come in and I can get a lot of work done in that first hour of the day um, because not a lot of people come in. And, uh, but when the rest of the staff starts showing up, then a lot of people come to my office and they, you know, there's questions they have or needs they have. And so I like to have a lot of my work done prior to that. I've always believed in an open door policy. And I mean that physically, that door being open. There's times where I have to close it for certain things, but I like to have, I like to be accessible when people, I, I want people to feel like they can come to me um, when they have something they need. And um, so I, inter you know, I'll interact with my, um, with Kenny Matthews or Aaron Ashworth who run the buildings and grounds here at the church, uh, make sure that they don't need anything from me or they, um, they, you know, we'll talk about things that are on the, on the agenda to do that need to get done or fixed before the next event or whatever. Um, I'm always in constant communication with, uh, Tammy, uh, who is my financial supervisor and, you know, all the finances run through her office. Um, so there's, um, you know, we have a budget of over $4 million just for the church side. That doesn't even count, you know, the CDC, um, that's a lot of, that's a lot to manage and a lot to handle. So, um, you know, I help over, I help with the, uh, media team as well, try to help really my, and I believe more my goal, my role there is support, you know, what is it they need to ensure they're getting everything done? Um, the equipment they need, uh, within reason, you know, obviously we got, <laughs> we can have all the, one of the shiny bells and whistles we want, but, um, I've always believed, you know, there's a lot of probably, you know, you go to church administrator uh, conferences that I go to once a year and they, I look around and I'm like, man, some of these guys need to lighten up a little bit. But um, one of the things that I think there's a perception of somebody that's a church administrator is probably someone that looks and acts a little bit like Scrooge, you know, sitting behind a, a, a pile of money, counting it, whatever. Um, I've always believed that the church administrator is somebody that comes along and helps support all the ministries of the, of the church. And it may not be that I'm going to say no to everything because I try not to, but I do try to find ways to say yes. And it may mean that we just do some things a little differently, mm -hmm. but I'm only successful as the ministry of the church. And if that means that we got to have something, whatever it is for a, uh, an event that's coming up, 
you know, student ministry has an event, maybe rec center has an event. Um, I want to find ways to ensure they can do that event or get that equipment they need so they can do the job that they feel like they need to do the best job they can to reach and spread the gospel throughout the world or the community or whatever it is they're doing. Um, and I believe that's more of my role um, as a church administrator than it is just say no about everything, you know, and just be kind of the holder of the purse strings. Um, you know, I know that I'm responsible for the budget, but at the same time, I want to make sure that we are doing everything we can, being good stewards of the money um, that's um, given to us, blessed to us, um, and that when Jesus looks down on us or looks at what we're doing, um, at the end of the day, can say yes, that's what I want to done. Well, I've talked to Brother Ray. I've talked to to Chuck, uh, our assistant to the pastor. I've, I've talked to several on staff. And when you talk to them, of course, there's naturally you would talk to them about when do you feel you were called, and they have great stories about that. And you, you think about the position of a church administrator, which we've just talked about, and, and what you do and what you're responsible People may not immediately think, well, that's something that you get called to, but you feel pretty strongly about that, that you do feel like this is a calling. I do. I, in fact, I remember the call. Um, I was um, shortly after Andrew and I got married. Um, I was early, early 20s. Um, I grew up in a small church. My dad was a pastor. And when I mean small church, I mean if we had 80 people on a Sunday morning, that was a good Sunday. And we, um, you know, so between the, uh, my dad being the pastor and then, um, myself, as I got older, we did a lot of the church duties and lots of functions. I mean, not a lot of people know this, but it was not uncommon for me to be leading congregational singing in worship. Oh, now that's out there. I know. Oh boy. Don't, but don't think that it was any good, but, um. (laughs) But that was not uncommon for me to do that. Um, uh, there were times where I got up and preached on Sunday mornings, um, you know, when, when, when I needed to. And so all I knew was small churches. When I, I went off to uh, college my freshman year, um, I was called to be a youth minister of a church. And uh, again, they're a small church. We had probably, I don't know, 12 kids maybe. And the total youth, and if they showed up all at the same time, and um, and then I um, decided, you know what, I'm I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. This is not what I, I feel led to do. So I changed my major, went into business, and I got a job at a retail store. And I thought, man, this is this is what I feel like I want to do. I did that for a while. Um, and then I was in my second, I was at my second, uh, department store and, um, it was very, very clear. The Lord said, you're going to be a church administrator. And I was like, what is that? Because I didn't know what that was. I didn't have a lot of exposure to large churches. Everything I ever saw, ever seen was small churches. Um, I didn't know what that was. And uh, the calls were very clear that it wasn't going to happen anytime soon, but that was going to be 
the jobs that I was going to have, that the Lord was going to lead me to, were all going to be jobs that I was going to be basically learning and train in training for the ultimate job that I was going to have as a church administrator. And, um, and it's not easy to be patient at times. You know, you get to the point where you see the end of the road or the end of the chapter of a certain position or a certain job. And, uh, you think, okay, is this it? Lord, are you, I'm ready. Nope. Nope. Something else comes up. And so, uh, uh, four states later and several jobs in uh, a couple different industries and a two year unemployment skid is bef- right before we moved to Dothan. And, uh, uh, we were, yeah, I was in banking, worked in retail for many, many years, started off at Mervyn's California, which is a lot like Kohl's is. If you're, if you're not familiar with the Mervyn's, it's just like a Kohl's. Uh, before they went out of business, um, Mervyn's did. And then um, I uh, got a job um, with Sears. I was 23 years old, and I was operations manager for a Sears store, um, which was pretty uncommon. Um, but, you know, we were living in Midland, Texas. There's not a lot of competition out there. So, and, you know, <laughs> it was kind of one of those things. And uh, worked there for a couple of years, and then um, we decided – that we were ready to leave Texas. We were ready to get out on our own, leave home. And uh, her parents, my wife's parents, lived in um, Des Moines, Iowa. And Old Navy was starting to get really hot back then. And they were opening a store in the state capital of Des Moines, Iowa. And so I applied and got the operations job, manager job there, and we moved up to Iowa. And that was uh, 1999 we did that. And uh, then shortly after that, was called and uh, became store manager of Eddie Bauer store there in Des Moines. And after about a year and a half, got a call that they needed help at the Mall of America in Minneapolis. And it was right before Thanksgiving. I said, would you guys, would you come up and help us through the season? We, your store is running like clockwork. You've got plenty of good staff. They can manage things in Des Moines. We need you up here to help us. So I did. I went up there, and um, uh, I guess it was two days before Christmas. I got the district manager came and said, we want you to move here. We'll pay to move you and become the store manager of this big store here. And so I did that. It was a stupid move, <laughs> but it, it, I did that because <laughs> the winters are very, very long there. I was just saying imagine. your progression has gone from warm to cold to colder to ridiculous. Yeah, it really was. Uh, the last winter we were there, um, we got uh, 68 inches of snow. Ooh. And, um, yeah, you have to shovel that, that driveway and that sidewalk every morning that's like that. Anyway, we ended up coming back to Texas and um, um, worked there. And I, we'd gotten a, I'd gotten a job working for Wells Fargo uh, in the auto finance doing credit, credit loans. And, um, we did that until the 2008 banking crash. And, uh, our, we got a call one morning as I'm on my way to work and said, the office is closing and everyone's laid off. And I knew it before ever, most everybody else did that day. And so, um, that began a two year journey of me with uh, not having a job. Um, it was, a very interesting time. Uh, my wife was laid off um, 
four, four months later. And so we had a uh, toddler. Uh, Rachel was three at the time, and we had no job. We had a mortgage, we had car payments, all kinds of stuff. Um, but the interesting thing was, in all that, that time, never missed a car payment, never missed a house payment. Uh, Lord provided the entire time we were in that. And I even got certified to teach school um, in the state of Texas uh, for anything in uh, middle school and technology from any grade that you can think of. And after all that, still couldn't get a job. Lance, I even applied to be the mouse at Chuck E. Cheese, and I could not get a callback. That's how bad it was. But you look back, I look back at that now, and the Lord was closing doors constantly because he was leading me here. And so um, summer of 2010, we moved uh, from uh, Rockwall, Texas to uh, Des Moines, not Des Moines, Dothan. Started with a D. Yeah. Uh, Dothan and uh, started to work with Northside Methodist uh, Church and Academy um, as the finance director uh, for both. And then um, I guess it was about a year and a half in, finished my second school year, and uh, I became the head of school. And then um, was there about a year and a half and uh, got the call to come here to Ridgecrest. And so um, been here. It'll be seven years in, in February that I've been at Ridgecrest. Was there times when you were unemployed where you doubted your call that that you thought you so succinctly heard earlier. I mean, I could certainly understand it if you did. I mean, you know, even John the Baptist had to double check at some point on, on what he certainly preached and believed to be true. So what was that like during that time? Yeah, there was definitely, there was definitely some tough, tough times. You know, I, I never struggled with getting a job. I, I I didn't have to work hard to get a job. I was always able to get a job. There were jobs that I applied for and got to the final interview and I walked away saying, I got that. And then I didn't get the job. I had an interview with the church we were going to at Lake Point Church there in Rockwall, very large multi-campus church. And um, they were they were wanting me to come and to be their database analyst to manage their some 30,000 members, you know, and that door closed. Hmm. And I remember going, I, I remember it was probably, it was right after Thanksgiving, I think that, that right after I'd gotten laid off in August, um, I went to the doctor. I said, I don't feel good. And he said, well, describe it to me. I said, well, did you ever, you ever wake up after taking cold medicine and feel like you just got this heavy feeling in your head and you just groggy all the time? He goes, yeah, that's what it feels like. He said, you're depressed. You're in depression. And uh, I was like, what does that mean? Because I never dealt with that before. And so um, I got medicine for it to help didn't work, had to up the dosage and it did help. And it got me to a point where I start focusing on what am I going to do? 
you know, what am I do next? And that was a thing through that is I kept, I kept trying to make things happen. I kept trying to manufacture things. And I remember a conversation with my wife during that time. And she said, I think you're angry at God. I said, well, wouldn't you be? Because he called me to do something and I can't get into even what seems to be to me the most logical thing. We're right here. I am five minutes from this church and they have a job opening and I can't get that job that I know would lead into me in the, into some kind of the role that I know I'm called to be. And I said, I had that calling. I know I was called that way, but here it is. We're, we're talking almost 20 years later and I'm still not in that role. And so it's like, well, this is my wife saying, God's timing is perfect. I said, well, he's going to have to speed it up. And that was my response. I mean, I was just, I was frustrated. I was just frustrated. But, you know, I knew that I was going to do things. I felt like, okay, I'm going to do this and this. The door closes. Then I just know that God's got something else for me. But like I said, we never missed car payment. Mm -hmm. We never missed a mortgage payment. It was just kind of a very miraculous thing that we, now, we aren't going out to eat much, you know, and <laughs> there's a lot of things we weren't doing. I remember one of the big things I did was uh, cut off phone line and didn't have one and did a thing called Magic Jack. I don't know if y'all remember that or not. And it was, you know, just internet phone. And that's at least I had a phone. Um, but I mean, we cut back a lot of stuff. I remember I went around the house unplugging things that didn't need to be plugged in, just try to cut the cut the electric bill as much as I could. There was just a lot of things that I did to try to, you know, save money. I was substitute teaching. Oh, God bless them. Because I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'd rather have been the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I did substitute teaching, you know, to bring in a little extra income and to see to try to get, at that time, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, I wasn't called to be a teacher, <laughs> but I felt like that was going to be something I could do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I doubted a lot. There was a lot of times I went in the afternoon and I went fishing and I had a lot of conversations with God and it was like, I don't understand why it has to be this long. <laughs> I just, I just didn't understand it. Um, and then, then I got to, uh, got to Northside and, and Northside was struggling. It was really struggling. And it was, a, it was, a, it was like, Lord, you took me across country for this. And, um, but I just leaned on him and just, he gave me, I, I was in a position I'd never been in before trying to figure out how school worked and operated. And, um, the good news is that school's still going and probably stronger than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I had a lot to do with it. I, I like to think I did, um, at least helped in some ways. Um, but I do know that when I, f I finally got into Ridgecrest, it wasn't like I had, I felt like I'd arrived because I knew I had a lot to learn, but I just found things came easy for me. And I thought, finally, this is what it feels like to, to be in your calling to be doing the job that God's called you to do. Yeah, I'd like to happen 20 years sooner, but I know I'm in the right place. I know where I'm at where God's got me. 
what really gets gets your engine cranked as far as as when you really feel like you're in the sweet spot of your job i know if it's a if it's a pasture maybe it's being in in the pulpit and looking and seeing your members really dialed into what you're saying and seeing them really taking the word and grow spiritually and uh, things like that 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 may be pretty tangible what about as an administrator when when you were maybe just do a fist pumping like yes this is this is what i'm here for when i get to look at a big spreadsheet on a screen yeah i mean i love spreadsheets my wife sent me a, a picture of a mug the other day and said something that had something to do with spreadsheets i don't remember exactly what it said but um it is it's, it, i like spreadsheets i like to look at the numbers i like to see, because this to me the numbers tell a story it may not just i mean i've got spreadsheets that track data back several years on our utility bills and our online giving and to see how the progression has been because we've done a lot of energy saving things here and i like to see okay we're we're, we're putting money dollars back into ministry because we're saving it in other places i was going to say that and i'm not a numbers guy but you can tell when maybe we were in a contract that that could have been a little bit better and you you work to make it a little bit better or you find a new one that's going to save x amount of dollars or you cut the utility bill for a 300,000 square foot facility 20 percent that is that's dollars that that go into ministry where people can be helped that who knows uh, may not have had access to a certain ministry because the money wouldn't have been there otherwise. I mean, that has to be a very satisfying feeling. It really is. Um, especially when you talk about contracts where you're negotiating contracts or finding another company and paying less and getting something better. Um, we did that recently with our live stream. We were paying, you know, I thought too much to get our content out through a live stream. And we, we uh, did some research and found, this new company, not only is the content and the quality better, it was more than half the price cheaper. And it was just like, man, sometimes I look at, I think, where, where were these people, you know, when we did this before, but, you know, um, but there's a lot of times that that, that happens. And um, it's really, it's really fun. It's really fun to do. Cause then that allows us to do other things like the technology upgrades we've done here over the last few years. I just think about, we were running a, um, a 50 by five internet speed when I got here and we couldn't do hardly anything with that now with as much as we rely on, on needing internet. So now we have two fiber lines coming in two different companies at hundred by 100. And yeah, we've had to spend more money to do that, but we couldn't do live streaming like we do um, and have people on campus using internet without that kind of bandwidth. So being able to save in other areas has allowed us to do some of these other things that we needed. And lo and behold, with that, we were in a position when COVID arrived to be able to reach people that we may not have been able to reach had, had we not had the live stream capability that we did and all of the multimedia that we've done. Um, who knows how that may have turned out otherwise. Yeah. Um, no, I think I look back and say, wow, we were, we were probably ahead of the game now, uh, uh, back then thinking, wow, at least uh, thankfully we have this stuff. Um, there were churches that were scrambling, trying to figure out what we're going to do. 
And we were already at least at the point where we were doing that and been doing it for, for a while. And since then, you know, since the COVID stuff has started, we have taken it even to another level um, in lots of, lots of areas. And it's been really neat to see the progression of that. Um, you know, when I got here, I was, um, there were three things that I really felt like we needed to address. Um, one was the debt. Um, the billing debt was, uh, was really hot, hard on the budget mm-hmm. and, um, had to do some work really to try to refinance that so that we could, it, it would take some of the strain off the budget. And we did that. But I also, when I did that, I made it, I was like very adamant to brother Ray and to the finance committee. If we do this, I don't want to do it unless we make some kind of a commitment that we're going to get some kind of a capital campaign to really kind of help put some of this behind us. And so that's what the freedom fund has done. And it's done. It's really helped us, um, knock that down. And I really still have a goal to really have that thing knocked out. You know, I'd love to do it, you know, in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can have it down by about half or even over half by the end of the, the three years, uh, that's a win. Yeah. I think, yeah. um, the other thing I, I, I was, and, and I was, the Lord led uh, in, me in this, in all of these things, because there's, there's been times where one of these things that he really impressed upon me came after the renovation. And I'm going to tell you something, renovation was hard and it was tiresome. And I remember being at the end of that saying, all right, Lord, I'm ready to coast for a little while. I'm tired. He didn't, he had other, mi- hmm. other things in mind. And so one of the things that he was very clear to me is we needed the building more efficient. And so that's when we started trying to figure out how do we get LED light bulbs in this building in a, in a cost-effective way. Um, thankfully, we, you know, we were able to raise the money and, and not have to have that upfront cost. We were able to raise the money to put those in. It's saving us a lot of money. The thermostats we put in there are all controlled by our, our calendar program. So when we book an event or book a room, guess what? The air conditioner works for that time and shuts off afterwards. Can you imagine trying to do that with a seven-day programmable thermostat on 78 thermostats? That's what we were doing before. I just don't know. How. I mean, time change was not a fun time around here because we had to go change the time on all of those thermostats. So now that's, and that, that's been changed. So, and even you think about the parking lot lights, we couldn't even, you couldn't even see the parking lot with those old lights. And now we got those LED lights. They burn, they, they're, they, they, they burn cheaper than the old ones. And most of the old ones were even burned out. Never could keep them burned, uh, changed fast enough before. And it was not cheap because you had to hire somebody to come out with a lift. And then of course, you know, the, as we've had to replace the air conditioners and that seems like an ongoing process, we've gotten more efficient air conditioners in. And so that's, that's helped drive down the cost. Um, and so that, that's, that's been a, that's been a big thing for me. The third thing was I got, I was spooked. I was at a, my first church ministers conference and they were talking about in the event, something happens in your church. That's a caused by a moral failure of some sort And the federal, if, if it's a federal government investigation, they come in and seize all your computers, take them out, 
all your servers. And I thought to myself, not that I was wanting that to happen at all, no. But I thought, if that happened, we couldn't operate. Mm. If we had a hurricane come through here or a tornado and it wiped out part of the building and we couldn't operate, we couldn't do anything. We just, we couldn't do anything. And so I started making these moves to try to make it so that in the event of something happening, we could pick up the, basically have the business running out of the house of somebody or multiple houses. I didn't realize that the event that we were planning for was COVID. Mm. And so by the time COVID came around, we were able to have contingency plans in place in which people could go home, take their desk phone, take their computer, and they could operate and do everything that they needed to do from home for as long as they needed to do it. And you would never really know if you called in to know that they were at the church or at home. Now, we didn't like doing that. We would nope. like rather be in the, the building. Mm-hmm. But then there were times where if somebody had to, you know, quarantine or whatever, you know, they were able to, they were able to still operate and still communicate and do some of the things they needed to do remotely. Um, so those were three big things that were kind of circled on my, my radar early on. And like I said, I just did not realize that we were going to be the disaster we were planning for was COVID, but we were able in a lot of ways ahead of the curve and, and ready for a lot of that. That's really interesting. I, I wonder, and just kind of the, to close out the conversation, because I'm thinking about, about your journey, whether it was in Midland or International Falls or Des Moines, or trying desperately to find a job and not being able to find one. When you walk into work every morning now, and I, I'm sure you have moments to kind of reflect on, on where you've been, Pastor Ray talks about this in his sermons an awful lot about being able to look back and, and see how does it all come together for you now? And I know the journey's still going on. I mean, anything can happen at any time, and who knows what the next several years will, will be like. But I just wonder if when you come into the office here, uh, you think about that sometimes. I do. It's um, <laughs> I think about, um, you know, folding shirts in a department store. Um on some of those late nights, you know, in the Christmas season where everything's been thrown on the floor, knowing that I have been called to do something different and trying my best to still do the best job I can um, because I wanted, um, I, wanted God, I wanted God glorified in everything that I did. And I wanted him to be proud of the person he called to do the job and not feel like he, you know, I know God is sovereign plans. Hmm. Uh, his plan is I, but I, um, you know, I just wanted to perform. I wanted to do the best job I could. I wanted people to see and ask why I, I, I was, I was working my tail off, you know, in these crazy times. Um, I, you know, I was buying, uh, car loans, after Katrina, my area was Baton Rouge after Katrina. And I was busy, busy, busy trying to, you know, every, all these people that had lost their cars trying to replace them. And I wanted to do the best job I could, you know, in that position I was in. And I never understood why some of these things I was doing, folding shirts or buying credit was, what was that? How was that going to 
help me in my position as a church administrator. Um, and I don't really know for sure other than it taught me I needed to, to work hard in everything that I did. So that's what I try to do here. You know, I think back to the journey, you know, you know my wife's been a great support to me, you know, believed in everything that I did, went, you know, has gone through all this stuff with me. You know, we have three kids. We also have three kids in heaven with three uh, miscarriages, two before Rachel, one before Kate. And um, I think about, you know, that day that I get to uh, meet them, you know, is, uh, is a pretty special thing. And I don't know, I guess you could say I have a little bit of a Brady Bunch mm. type of deal in a different way. Um, but we're very, very blessed um, in lots of ways. Uh, great family, a, a wonderful wife, uh, three uh, great kids. Um, and uh, I always, I, you know, I, I think the big thing for me is I question, why, why am I so blessed? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, I asked that same question. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. But I'm thankful. Um, and I sure hope that, uh, you know, down the road, you know, whatever... However long I'm at Ridgecrest, um, you know, one day that journey will end at Ridgecrest. I don't know what that means. I don't know when that is. Ray may call me in after this podcast and say it's now. No, but, um, and it could be several years down the road. I, I don't know, but um, I'm just thankful that finally after so many years, I'm actually in the position I know that God's called me to do, and, and I enjoy it. It's a great place to be. Yeah. Matthew Johnson, thank you for joining us on Ridgecrest Stories. appreciate your time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Thank Lance. you.